Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Well, we've been in this series for the last few weekends, and I was debating about moving on to the next series that we were going to start as we were getting ready to... uh, Can you believe Easter is just a couple weeks away? And uh, I just want to encourage you, we are going to do three gatherings on that weekend. We've got the Saturday night one at 6. We're going to do a 9 a.m. and a 10.30 a.m. And so if you can do the math, you understand that those gatherings are going to be a little bit shorter so that we can make sure to have a transition time for those who will come to the 9 a.m. They'll be able to transition out and bring in those who will be here at 10.30. And we just want to encourage you, make sure that you invite somebody to church that you wouldn't normally invite to, or that wouldn't normally come to church. That is one of those weekends that you have an opportunity to do just that, and you'll watch as people who maybe you would think would never darken the doorway of a church, they will come on a weekend like Easter or on Christmas, and it's a perfect opportunity. They are going to hear the salvation message. They're going to hear about this Savior who loves them more than they could ever comprehend, and the fact that no matter how messy their life is, there's a God in heaven who sees them, who loves them, who accepts them, and who has forgiven them of their sins. Amen? So inside of that, I want to just encourage you to make sure that you bring people to that. We're going to, we're going to conclude our perspective series this weekend. Uh, my family and I had the opportunity to go and we spent some time in Florida. And while we were there, we, we did something that I would not recommend anybody do ever, ever, ever. And that is we hit four Disney parks in two days on spring break. Yeah, it was not, it was not exactly brilliant on our part, but we did it. And while we were there, we were getting ready to go to one of the parks, and uh, uh, as we were, we were sitting there that evening before, I, I uh, was flipping through some stuff online, and there, there's this uh, series on the Disney Plus, I think, channel or something, and it had Behind the Attraction. And so on there, they were talking about the castles that are in Disney, and so I was waiting for the kids to, to get done doing something. We we're going to watch a movie, and so I clicked on it, and I was watching it, and I found it quite interesting as I was looking at this that uh, they were talking about Walt Disney and he was building Disneyland, the original park in California. And, and he had this grand idea that he wanted to build this huge castle and he wanted it to be the centerpiece of his park. And, and so he began to talk to the different builders and, the, and those who would engineer and they began to tell him of the expense and the amount of space that a castle the size of, of what he wanted would take. And uh, he, he didn't have the money at the time to build the castle that he wanted. And so they began to do this thing where uh, they call it forced perspective. And that's what I want to talk to you about this evening for just a few moments. Forced perspective is an interesting concept. And it is something that Disney didn't invent, but they definitely use it throughout their parks. And the, the idea is this. You can make something appear much larger than it actually is. And so as you look at this uh, castle, you can see that if you were to look at it, you, you'd feel like, oh, that's a pretty big castle. You can keep it up there. That's all right. Um, and, uh, and so the first level of this castle is to scale. It is, it is a normal size. It's what you would expect when you would go to that. When you get to the second level, they actually shrink everything down a little bit smaller. And so they'll, they'll take it down a third of the size. So even the bricks 
everything that, that would, you would see of the normal size on the lower end, they bring it down a third. And then as things get higher and higher, windows become smaller and smaller because it tricks your brain into believing that this thing is that much bigger than it actually is. So if you were to actually stand up on that tower, that tower up at the top where it looks like it'd be a place you could stand on that balcony, that actually would come up to about here on you. And so it, it tricks your mind into thinking, and they use it throughout the whole park. I remember being a kid and getting the opportunity to go to Disneyland, and, and as a kid, you'd walk through that park, and it was magical, right? It was like you had been, you'd been whisked away to some, some crazy place where everything was magic, and it was super cool, and, and, you, and you never really paid attention to the details of the, the way they were making things work. Even as you walk down Main Street on either of the parks, the second and third floor are actually smaller than the first floor because they want you to have the appearance that things are actually bigger or to scale. It's called forced perspective. And as I was thinking about that, after watching that little documentary for a few moments, I realized that there are many things in our life that the enemy uses a forced perspective on us and makes us believe things that actually aren't true. We live in a day and a time right now where there is, there is definitely a forced perspective. There is an idea that to, to, to imagine even five years ago that we would be turning on the news and watching a debate go on about what is a woman. To imagine that, that a man who couldn't make it in men's swimming, sorry, can put on a women's swimsuit and take first and be honored as a woman. I, I'm just, and, and maybe some of you that offends, but I'm just telling you right now, that's forced perspective. That's the enemy telling you a lie and making you try to believe something that is not true. Why? Because it changes everything. If all of a sudden we begin to buy into all of these lies that are being put in front of us, then, then it changes the way we even see God. And so it's so important for us to understand this because what will happen is the enemy will use a forced perspective and he will make him, himself appear to be unstoppable. Can I tell you he's already been stopped? He's, he already lost, Right? So when we believe the lie, when we begin to turn on the, the TV or we look at social media and it feels overwhelming like the enemy is just, he's winning on every front and we begin to believe that, what we're, what we're doing is we're believing a lie because the book says he already lost. And so we've got we've to see things the way they actually are because with our God, all things are possible. And for many of you, you sit in this room today, and I want to I address some of the lies that, that maybe the enemy has been telling you that you've been believing, and I want, I want us to change our perspective today and to see them through the eyes of a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that you and I can, can claim that victory that's already been won. So... First, if, if you're new to River of Life, I just want to welcome you. I want to tell you that we're so glad that you're here. What you're going to find as you, as you um, sit in a room, you're going to find that there are so many people in this place who have uh, come from a messy place. Uh, we got messy people here. We're not ashamed of the fact that we got messy people here. Um, we celebrate the fact that, that messes become messages, right? Um, 
that those who were tested now walk out a testimony, right? Like we celebrate that because that, that means that, that God is using us to reach into some of the places that people don't want to go. And we're watching people's lives change. Can I just tell you, our, what's going on in the jail and in the prison ministry is, is unbelievable. We got some of the numbers and there are weeks where over 400 people are watching on those tablets inside of jail. And um, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible to see what God is doing. And so, so we, make, we make no bones about the fact that God has called us into the messy places. But inside of that, what happens is some of you will sit in this room today and you, the enemy has forced a perspective on you that makes you feel like you're coming from a losing side. And it's a lie. It's not true. But we got to change the way that we see things. You see, there's no way that I will ever walk down. That the, the, the Disney castle is actually only 77 uh, feet tall. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not very tall. If you walk through that park, you would assume that thing is huge because it looks like it's huge. The one, in, the one in Orlando is actually bigger than that. It's 188 feet tall because if it was 190 feet tall, they would have had to put a red flashing light on it. So they forced perspective it so that it was just small enough so they didn't have to have this glowing red light for airplanes on the top of it. But it looks like it's ginormous. It looks huge, right? Now that you know it, though, if you go to Disneyland, I'm sorry if I ruined it for you, but if you go to Disneyland, you're going to go, that thing ain't that big, right? Why? Because once you see the truth, you know the truth. So tonight, my hope for you is that you'll see the truth, that you'll understand that God is in control, that he's already won, that he's in charge. And so I want us to look today for just a few moments as we look in John chapter 11. It says this, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on, jo on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So I want to stop there for a moment because I believe that all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, could, be, could say this world is full of sickness. There's a lot of sickness in this world. And for us, even as individuals, we can say there's areas in my life where I'm sick. There's areas of my life that I struggle. There's things inside of me that I know are not right. They don't align with where I'm supposed to be. And again, even as a kid, as I would walk through Disneyland, I would see all of these things. And even though as an adult, I can see, oh, I see how they did that. Oh, that's fake. Oh, that's not real. As a kid, it all seemed so real to me. Even walking through this last time, we watched as adults, grown men who you know are tough and all this stuff. Man, they're wearing like their, their Mickey ears and they're, you know, I mean, it's just, it's like, if, if, if it wasn't in Disney, like in Disney, nobody notices that. But if you were like, if you were downtown Missoula, right, wearing your Donald Duck Bill hat and your whatever, you'd be like, you all right, brother? What's happening? Right? But we're, we're, in, we're in, this, in this realm where it's all normal and we, we just want to believe the lie. For many of us, what you need to understand is that I think we've come into a place where this world has become so sick that we're just used to sickness. But we're called to be the ones that bring healing where there's sickness. So one of the lies that I believe that, and we're going to go through a few of these, but one of the first lie that I think is really important for us to address today, and, and it is this. It is this lie that says you're not loved. The enemy does everything he can to convince you of this lie because it is one of the deepest sicknesses there is, and that is the sickness of rejection. And that's why it's so important. Like when you come here, we want everybody to feel like you, you understand that you belong here, right? 
Because belonging actually counter, is, is contradictive to the lie that the enemy says. The enemy says, don't go to that church because if you go in there, they're going to see what a mess you are and they're, they're going to they're gonna talk bad about you. They're going to they're gonna reject you. They're going to all those things. And so people will stay on the outside and go, well, I'll never go in there. And I hope that when you do come into this place, and we've seen it time and time again, when all of a sudden you feel like, wait a second, these people seem to accept me, then all of a sudden that lie that the enemy is telling is actually, is, can actually be disproven because you are loved, you are seen, you are cared about. The God of the universe loves you and he sees you and it doesn't matter what you've done and who you've been in your past because he sees you as who he created you to be. In verse 3, it says this, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God uh, will receive glory from this. So look at this verse. It says, the one that you love is sick. And so um, lie number two, I believe that, that the enemy will tell you you're sick and you have no future. Jesus says this sickness will not end in death. No matter what you are dealing with today, you have a future. When you're down to nothing, it means that God is probably up to something. And so for some of you, you've been in that position, and maybe you find yourself in that position today where you feel like, man, I, I don't even know how I'm going to get out of bed tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to even make it through because every time I just feel like everything is hitting me really hard, and I don't think that there's anything for me. I don't think I have a future. I don't think there's any hope. And if the enemy can make you believe there is no hope, you will live your life as though your life doesn't matter. But Jesus always brings hope to the table. When we put our hope and our trust in him, all of a sudden there's this thing that comes alive in us. And, and where, where there was a test in your life, like I said a moment ago, it becomes a testimony. When there's, when there's a mess, it becomes a message. When there's pain, it becomes, it, beca it becomes something where you're able to take that pain and that, that part of your story that was so hurtful and so hard, and you can use that testimony to change somebody else's life. And now all of a sudden, there's life breathing in you again. Because you do have a hope and you do have a future. Verse, uh, verse number five says this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciple, let's go, disciples, let's go back to Judea. Lie number three, nothing happens when it's supposed to happen. I, I don't know about you, but there have been seasons in my life where I'm praying for something and I'm not seeing God show up on, in the time that I want him to show up. Jason, you don't understand. I've been praying and I've been asking God and he didn't show up. And I'm sure that Martha spent almost every day after she sent the message, she probably went multiple times a day to the outer outskirts of the city, to out by the city walls to look and to see, is Jesus coming yet? I sent for him. Why is he not here? Lazarus is only getting sicker. Why is he not showing up? And I'm sure that there were, that I'm sure in, inside of her heart and inside of her head, there was that, that, those moments of, where is he? How many of you ever had those moments with God? Where are you? 
Do you not hear what I'm praying for? Do you not understand the, the, the severity of my situation? Why is it that you're not showing up when I need you to show up? God is never late, but he's also never early. He's always right on time. But see, we often want a microwave savior. We want everything on demand, right? We want, we want it now. We've got DoorDash. We've got all these things. We don't wanna, I don't want to have to drive all the way to the restaurant so, uh, so they can make my food. I want somebody else to go drive to the restaurant where they make my food and bring it to me, right? Uh, it, it's amazing to me how impatient we've become. On this trip, we got on, a, on the airplane, and, and as we were getting on the plane, I realized that I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else. They, they do the thing where they're like, we're going to begin the boarding for a flight, blah, 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 to Missoula, Montana. Um, and, and everybody starts like, what, huddling to that, like, that little gate thing, right? They're waiting. And you got on your ticket, it says when you're supposed to get on. It says main one, main two, main three. And so I, I'm with my family, and, and I look at my ticket. Mine said main one. And, the, and Shannon and mine, main one. Everybody else said main two. And we're like, <laughs> main one. <laughs> we'll see you on there, right? So we, but they, they said, main one is ready to board. And we all just like cram in, right? Why? We're all going on the same plane. I already have a seat assignment. Why am I in like such a hurry to get onto the plane? Because guess what? When I get onto the plane, I'm in a huge hurry to get off of that plane. <laughs> right? I mean, that thing lands and we're all standing under that bulkhead like, can we go? Let's go. Are you going to go? Because if you don't go, I'm going to go, right? We're in like a huge rush to get on. Also, we can be on a huge rush to get off when we get to the other side. Everything we want it now, we want it now. Jesus, I'm praying. I need you to answer my prayer now in the way I want you to answer my prayer. And so we believe this lie that nothing ever happens when it's supposed to happen. But the reality is that's a, that's a, that's a forced perspective, yeah. right? Because if we trust God, if we believe this book, if we believe him and take him at his word, and everything that he says is truth, then we need to know that when we pray and we ask, that he's going to show up when he needs to show up. Yeah. And whatever happens in our story, we need to know that he is in control, and sometimes that's a really tough pill to swallow because he doesn't answer our prayer the way we want him to answer our prayer. Yeah. And those are especially tough. But we've talked about that before. If we all of a sudden could say whatever we pray he's going to do the way we want him to do it, that makes us God. His vantage point is a lot higher than ours. And he sees often what we need, not always just what we want. It's amazing because we need to realize this throughout scripture. It says things in like the book of Psalm. It says, wait on the Lord, uh, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It has to say it twice. <laughs> Psalm 37 verse 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Psalm 38 verse 15, but for you, O Lord, I do wait it is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Scripture says he will answer. It may not be in your timing. It may not be in my timing, but he will answer. Yeah. He is always faithful. Yeah. 
But when we believe that lie, when we begin to say, well, he didn't do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it, it's a forced perspective. It's the enemy starting to sow seeds of doubt inside of you instead of you coming to a place where you go, God, this is what I'm praying, and you said that I can ask, and so I'm going to ask for this thing, and I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to believe that you can because I know that you can, but inside of that, I'm going to trust your timing. I'm going to trust that you're going to show up when you need to show up, and you're going to do what you need to do because you see things that I don't see. And that's actually called faith. As we continue the story in verse 8, we see this. But, the, but his disciples objected, Rabbi, because Jesus had just said, okay, let's go. Two days have passed, let's go. They said, only a few days ago, the people of Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they do not have light. So this is an interesting answer. I don't really understand how Jesus is answering the question to what they said. They said, hey, they were going to stone you the other day. Are we really going back that way? And he says, hey, you know what? There's 12 hours of daylight and people can walk around and it's safe. And then at night, it's not so safe. Okay, cool. You're Jesus, so you can answer however you want. As I looked at this, first of all, just understand, the disciples are worried about themselves in this, right? They're asking the questions because they're with him, and they know, hey, are we going to go back to where it's dangerous again? And Jesus answers with this very interesting thing, and it brings me to line number four, which is you can walk in darkness and not stumble. Um, I remember being a kid, and my dad was a pastor of a big church out in Washington, and I was in, uh, I just had started high school, and some friends of mine uh, had been in the mall, and there was this discount on these laser tags uh, that you could buy. And, and you, you remember laser tag. They still have it in places, but this is where you could buy the gun and the little thing that you put on your chest, and you could you shoot, and it would, it would know that you got shot, and it would keep your score and all that stuff. And so there was like eight of us that bought these things, and I just, because of um, unknown reasons, I happened to have a key to the church. And so... So we would find an evening where nothing was happening at the church, and we would go into the basement of the church, which the basement of the church was probably about as big as our whole building, and there was rooms, and there was hallways, and there was dividers, and there was areas that were set up for kids' stuff, and there were big open areas, and we would turn off all the lights. Not only would we turn off all the lights, we would cover all the exit signs so there was no light whatsoever, and then we would play laser tag. And it was a blast. It was so fun. But, but, but one night we were playing laser tag and we had gotten to where once you're in there for a while, your eyes kind of adjust so you can kind of see things a little bit, but it was pretty much pitch black because we're in a basement, no windows, covering all the exit signs, not a lot of light. None of us had cell phones back in the day, so there was no way to like pull out a flashlight or anything like that. And so... Uh, but you would get to know the lay of the land a little bit. And so we knew where things were for the most part. And then we would get pretty confident in our abilities to navigate in the dark. And so at one point, I was, I was starting to run through the dark, getting away from somebody or chasing somebody. I don't remember what I was doing. But, but what had happened is somebody 
had decided they were going to go and hide in this one little specific area. And so they pushed out one of those little preschool tables. You know those little preschool tables? So I'm in full sprint. This is why they tell you kids don't run in church, right? Do they ever even say that anymore? I don't know if anybody says that anymore. Um, I'm in full sprint, and I hit that thing on my shin, and I flipped over the table, and my leg was immediately black. I mean, it was black. And I tell you that story because for many of us, what we need to understand is I think for, for many of us, we've come to a place where we have become accustomed to some darkness inside of our lives, and we feel like, well, I know how to navigate it. And I'm just telling you right now, the day will come where you'll trip. The day will come where pain will follow. The day will come where that thing that you've been so successful at hiding will come into the light. I turned on the lights and it was obvious. It was like, oh, how stupid are you? You ran into that table. It's right there, right? There's something about the light that makes things a little bit easier. But when we choose to allow darkness inside of our lives... We're only waiting for an accident to happen. The enemy wants to keep you in the dark. He wants to keep you into a place. He doesn't care about whether you get drunk or you smoke or you have sex outside of marriage. Those are all things that will, will cause you to, to be in the darkness. He just wants to keep you in the dark. He wants you to think that you've got the system beat and that you, you can keep one foot in the world and one foot in heaven and, and you'll be fine. You'll be the one that can do it and no one else can. It's amazing what we'll believe. You want to talk about forced perspective. It's amazing how many people will, will watch somebody walk down a road and they'll see, man, they really made life hard on themselves because they started doing some stupid stuff. They started using drugs or they started drinking too much or they started doing all this stuff. But that would never happen to me. That's a forced perspective is what that is, right? Like I'm not actually looking at truth in front of me. Instead, I'm, I'm trying to believe something that isn't actually true because I, for some reason I think I'm, I'm bigger or I'm stronger or I'm more able to navigate. Maybe, he will, maybe the enemy will remind you of your past darkness so that you don't think that light is even possible for you. I want you to, I want you to hear this. You need to get past your past because Jesus' past covered your past. The enemy will keep bringing it up. Why? It, it, again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not true. So if he can keep reminding you and telling you and, and, and shaming you and making you feel bad about what you've done and, and who you once were and all of those things, then, then you can look at this castle and go, man, that thing, must be, that thing must be 400 feet tall and it's 77 feet tall. Because he's, he's figured out how to manipulate things in your life to make them appear a certain way even though they're not. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that he had died. Lie number five, when you're dead, you're dead. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, 
for now you will really believe. Come, let's see him. So the devil wants you to believe that you are too far gone. But with God, all things are possible. We have to believe, though. How often do we think like Mary or Martha did where they realized, oh, Lazarus is dead. So once you're dead, you're dead. As, as people who, many of you are, are new to the church, but many of you have, have grown up in church, and you know what it's like to see somebody and to instantly judge them and to say, they're too far gone. We're all guilty of it. We've all done it, whether you want to admit it or not. But what I love about this story is that's a lie. It's a forced perspective. When you're dead, you're dead. No, not according to this story. That's not the way it works. We judge people and their situations and we, we assume things that are actually not true. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at that last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come to the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave they, so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. How often do we approach God like this? If only. God, if only. If only you had done this. If only, as if we're going to tell him something he doesn't already know. How arrogant of us. How arrogant of her to come to him and go, Lord, if only you had. Next time you should listen to me, right? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. So Mary cries, saying, he's dead and you're too late. And Jesus was angered, not because Lazarus had died, but because Mary's unbelief. What we need to hear in this story is that's what actually grieves God is when we don't believe. When we believe the lie, when we believe what the enemy is saying, when, we, when the enemy is able to trick us with a forced perspective and make us think something is true that is absolutely not true, especially when it's something that his word is already contradicted. When his word already says it and we, we've read it and we've heard it and we're supposed to then believe it, but instead we believe what our eyes tell us instead of what our heart and his word tells us. Our job is to believe. God's job is to do the impossible. When we believe, God will bring his super into our natural. And that changes things. Verse 38, 
Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. I, I found this interesting as I reread this story because I've heard this story since I was a little kid, and I didn't realize how ticked off Jesus was until <laughs> I reread it again this week. It's interesting because he, he shows he's mad. Mary's not believing. That's irritating to me. He, she, she, of all people, know me. She should know what I can do. And I said he'll be fine, so why, why are they even doing this? So he shows up at the tomb, and he's still ticked off. Cave with a stone, uh, so he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And now I got to kind of picture it a little bit different. I think he's a little torqued at this point. Roll the dang stone away already, right? I'll do what I said I was going to do. You guys need to believe me when I say things. If you will believe, you will see the glory of God in your life. When you pray, believe what you pray. When you pray, finish by thanking God that he hears you. Lie number six, you will never be free. The devil loves this one. You're never going to find freedom. You will always be an addict. You will always struggle with your sin. Your past will never truly be gone. It's the thing that entombs us. It holds us. It's this thing that no matter what we're, no matter where we find ourselves, the enemy can always bring that lie back into your story. And it's the one that's the easiest to believe. I've seen how stupid I can be. I've seen the mess that I can make. I've seen the garbage that I've done. I've seen, and out of that, all of a sudden now, he begins to spew this lie into your life that says, you're never going to be truly free from any of it. It's always going to be right there, just waiting for you to slip. And as soon as you do, boom, I got you again. Jesus says, remove the stone. Remove that thing that's holding Lazarus back. He can remove the junk from your past. He can remove, he can remove the stuff that's holding you back. And he wants to do it, and he wants to do it today. Verse 40, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Listen to the way Jesus prays. Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The thing that's amazing about this is when the enemy says you'll never be free, we can believe, nope, it's, when you're dead, you're dead. We're done. It's over. It's over for us. I just hope that, I hope that my family can come out of it. I hope whatever, we start to believe this lie. But Jesus speaks to Lazarus, who is dead. He says, move the stone. Let me talk to the dead man. 
For some of you today, what you need to hear from me is is maybe you are battling an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with something where you find yourself living in dark places. You're good at hiding things and you think, well, as long as no one ever finds out, it's going to be okay and I won't ever hurt anybody else. But what I'm telling you right now is you're listening to the lie that the enemy is speaking to you and you're believing a forced perspective that isn't actually true. And so inside of this, what you need to know is that Jesus speaks to the dead man and the dead man obeys. That's key to this story because he has to obey. Jesus told him where he could go to be free. He said, come forth. There's freedom here, but you've got to come to it. What if Lazarus chose not to come? That would have been a discouraging story. He's just hanging out in the tomb. I'm good. He, Jesus does the hard work. He brings him back to life. Jesus did the hard work in your life too. He brought you from dead to life. He already did it. So what, is it, what does it take for us to experience that life? It takes for us to listen and obey. He calls you forth. Now listen. Move towards him. Move towards him. And all of a sudden, then when you get close to him, guess what happens? Then he says to everybody, hey, remove the grave clothes. Unwind those things that have bound him. He's free. He doesn't need those anymore. Lie number seven. This is a different one. I want you to hear this, though, because I think it's important. Life gets easier. There's a twist, hey? Why is this an important one for us to look at? John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The enemy will use this forced perspective to make you think that if anything is wrong in your life, God doesn't care about you. If things don't get answered, if your prayers don't get answered the way you want them to be answered, God must not love you. If, if all of a sudden it, it's tough and your coworkers aren't being nice to you or your, your family's a mess or you're struggling, then that must mean that God isn't maybe even real. But the verses say, hey, in this world, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be some struggles. But you need to understand, still trust me, because I've overcome the world. As we look at this story of Lazarus, what you need to understand is Jesus, he gets word that he's sick. Jesus already knew he was sick. And he goes, hey, let's just hang out a little longer. And the girls are back in the village going, what's taking him so dang long? Get here. We told you he's sick. And Jesus immediately goes, hey, this is going to bring glory to God, this story. It's going to be something that a bald guy in East Missoula is going to preach on someday. And so so Jesus knows. But for, for Mary and Martha, that was trouble. They knew Jesus. It wasn't all of a sudden just because you know Jesus, everything's roses. It's trouble. Dude, our brother, he died. Where are you? And Jesus shows up when he needs to show up. 
he comes right on time. He says to them, guys, I told you it was going to be okay. Believe in me. You know what I love about this too is he says, if you believe in me, but then none of them were really believing and he still did it. He didn't go, guys, I was going to raise him from the dead, but since you don't believe, Lazarus can just stay dead. Right? He still called him forth. And for many of you, what you need to understand is when we accept Christ, it doesn't make life easier, but it does make it better. Why? Because all of a sudden there's hope where there wasn't hope before. There's something bigger that we can believe in. We no longer have to believe this lie that the enemy keeps telling us. Some of you sit in this room today and you do feel like, I'm rejected, I'm unloved, I'm unlovable. I'll never amount to anything. Some of you sit in the room today and you've bought the lie that you can walk in the darkness and not stumble. And I'm telling you right now, you can be really good at it, but the day will come where you will fall. For some of you, you you just don't feel like you'll ever be free. And Jesus is saying, listen, move the stone. Get that thing out of the way. Because I'm about to do something here, and you got to get that stuff out of the way. So whatever that is in your life, you gotta, you got to let him move it out of the way. And for some of you, that means tonight you need to come to a place of repentance. You need to come to a place where you're like, God, I have put this thing above you. God, I have, I have allowed this sin to creep in. I've allowed this other thing to become more important than you, whatever that is. And tonight, God, I, I'm coming to you, and I need you to, to hear me, and I need you to, to roll the stone out of the way because I need you to call life back into me. And he'll do it because he loves you. He'll do it because he believes in you. He'll do it because he has plans for you. Your your past doesn't define you. Your Savior gets to define you. So tonight I want us to just close our eyes for just a moment. I'm gonna, I just want to ask this question. I wonder if there's anyone in the room or that's watching online today, if you're in Star Valley watching with us. I, I, I just wonder if in this moment right now, if you'd be honest and just say, you know, Jason, I, I, I haven't really made the decision to really listen to Jesus as we talked about that story and I said Lazarus had to listen he had to obey he had to move from where he was and for some of you you need to make that motion towards Jesus he's calling you tonight he's wanting you today he's wanting to to remove the grave clothes. He's wanting to set you free. He's wanting to breathe life back into you. He's wanting you to not have to believe the lies that the enemy continually says over your life. But there's something in that that we have to do. We have to make a motion. We have to move towards him. So today, as as we close this time together, I just wonder if there's anybody in the room, if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, I've been believing those lies. Some of those things, I absolutely know what you're talking about, and I'm tired of it, and I don't want to believe that there's no purpose for me. I don't want to believe that nobody loves me or that I'm not cared for. And I'm telling you right now, 
in this moment, for some of you, you, you need to come to a place where you go, God, I, I know there's things that are blocking me, and I'm setting those things aside. And in this moment right now, Jesus is calling you forth. He's saying, come to me. There's life out here. So with no one looking around, if you're in this room today and you just say, you know, Jason, I want to make my relationship right with God today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just lift up your hand and catch my eye? Because I want to pray for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's all over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. One more moment. Is there anybody else who would just say, Jason, will you remember me in this closing prayer? I just want to, this is that moment Jesus is saying, come forth. You don't have to live like that anymore. Yeah, I see it, man. Thank you for your faithfulness in that. Yeah, good job. One more moment. Is there anybody else? Today I'm going to just lead you in a closing prayer and it goes something like this. Those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to just ask you to be honest about where you're at. This is between you and him. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you in it. I'm going, to, I'm going to say some words and you're going to repeat those. And all you need to do is mean what you're saying. If you mean it, then you're accepting Christ. You're, you're answering the call. This is your movement. This is Lazarus stepping forward out of the tomb. And it's in that moment that all of a sudden then the grave clothes come off and there's freedom. See, God loves you so much that he did send Jesus to die on a cross. And that was payment for our sin. He said, listen, this needs to be paid for. It needs to be covered. So he sent Jesus who was perfect Jesus dies, and because of that, when we accept that sacrifice, and we say we believe that he is who he says that he is, that he did what he said that he did, that he raised again in three days, and that he ascended to heaven, if we believe all of that, and we accept this gift that he has for us, then it's that moment where the grave clothes are taken off, and we're no longer dead, but we're alive in him. It's the best gift you could ever receive. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and if you'll just repeat, the, I'm going to ask everybody in the room, whether you, whether you raised your hand or you didn't, I believe there are some of you that you know you need to pray this prayer. You didn't have the courage to raise your hand. I want you to pray it anyhow. And in this moment, the Bible says that your sin is removed from you. It's been paid for. It's not yours to carry anymore. So let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I praise you for your mercy. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that your son died on the cross for me. I accept that free gift. Please forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you from this day forward. God, today I'm removing the grave clothes and I'm walking in your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you celebrate with those who raised their hand and prayed that prayer tonight? (laughs) 
God is good, and I believe that for many of us, even if we've already accepted Christ into our lives, one of those lies is one that we struggle with. And for some of you, maybe tonight is a night where you just got to go, hey, God, I've put some things up between us. And tonight I want, I want you to move the stone. Because I'm not dead, and I don't want to be in a tomb anymore. Watch what he does. Let me pray over you. God, right now I'm so grateful for your amazing love for us. The fact that, God, you loved us more than we could ever even comprehend. And so, Father, in these last closing moments, as we spend just a little bit more time in worship, I pray, Father, that you will do surgery on our hearts. God, for those who are seasoned believers who've been in the church for decades and those who are brand new to the faith, God, we all have areas where the enemy has forced a perspective and we've bought into a lie. So, God, I pray that our eyes would be open tonight that we'd see truth and we'd understand the reality of who you are and the fact that the enemy actually has no authority inside of our lives, that you already won. We give you all the praise tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we worship? The altars are open and prayer teams will be here if you want to pray. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.